Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this episode... In the red corner, the Muscles from Brussels plays all-American hero Guile. Get ready to say Hadouken. It's 1994's Street Fighter. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Raul Julia, Street Fighter, rated PG-13. And in the blue corner, hoping for a flawless victory and not to be today's fatality. It's 1995's Mortal Kombat. So what is the connection and which film will be victorious? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello and welcome to this episode of Clash of the Titles. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. And today's two movies, Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat, were picked by me. I picked them this week. Uh, so, what is the connection? Are you just talking to yourself? I am. I am. <laughs> I've got this is my inner monologue. I've been rehearsing this bit all morning. So, what is the connection, Alex? Uh, well, the connection is quite obviously. I'm sure you worked it out. Movie adaptations of video game beat 'em ups, and specifically video game beat-em-ups. I am not burning through the whole video game to movie adaptation series in this one show because I want to dip into that again. I think there are plenty of movies we can talk about there. I want to talk about Doom in the future. I want to talk about Silent Hill in the future. I want to talk about the entire Uwe Boll back catalogue at some point, including House of the Dead. We're going to be mining this genre for material for months. Yeah. So that's why it's very specific. Video game beat-em-ups. There is actually... For those who want to go a little deeper, an even more detailed connection between these two films, and that is neither of these films would exist without Jean-Claude Van Damme. Obviously, Street Fighter stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, but Mortal Kombat only exists because of Jean-Claude Van Damme. The creators of the video game, before it was even called Mortal Kombat, approached Jean-Claude Van Damme about doing an arcade beat-em-up that he would star in. He was contracted to another games developer, so he couldn't do it. So they then came up with Mortal Kombat. So in his own special way, Jean-Claude Van Damme is responsible for these two wonderful, wonderful films. I gave Street Fighter to you, Chris. Vicky, you had Mortal Kombat. That's going to get old. (laughs) So first of all, just before we uh, go straight into Street Fighter, did you enjoy these movies that I picked? Let's say it on three. One, two, three. No. Mm, No. (laughs) No. Did no enjoy. What? There were fun moments, but I think as as movie watching experiences, uh, I've had better. One of them's not really a film. One of them's an adaptation of a video game that's a filmed video game. Nope. It is. No, no. They're both 
uh, great films <laughs> and I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to talk about them from the perspective of as if they're films and I sense that that's going to be a problem. <laughs> but I think what's interesting to talk about today is how they're such different approaches to very similar material. We're doing it chronologically, which means we start with 1994 Street Fighter. Chris, an adaptation of the greatest fighting game in history, 1994 Street Fighter features very little actual brawling, aside from the distressing sight of an action star high on cocaine beating up an actor sick with cancer. What? Oh my God! <laughs> That's your introduction. Have you got another one? Please tell me that's for us and you're laughing because you know I'm going to edit that out. I was worried that might be too rough. Do you think? (laughs) In December 1994, the forces of freedom will face a power-mad dictator in a struggle for the fate of the world. I'm going to kick Bison's ass. I don't think so. You have to do better than that. Okay. No, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? I love this movie. I thought it was great. It was a box office hit. It was Van Damme at the height of his powers. This is prime Van Damme. He was coming off the back of Time Cop. He was coming off the back of Hard Target, John Woo's Hollywood debut. He was worth $8 million in this movie, which is what he got paid from the $35 million budget. I mean, I was going to kick off by asking, did you grow up playing this game, either of you? Yeah, of course. Vicky? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. No. So am I, <laughs> again, I don't really want to show my hand either, but my experience of video games was more like Ghostbusters on the Commodore 64. Um, I played Sonic a lot. And then obviously I'm really looking forward to that film. Um, and If they fix his mouth, his yeah, weird and his legs. toothy mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why has the hedgehog got human teeth? It's so upsetting. Um, and I also played a lot of um, Aladdin and the Lion King on, on the Sega. And then I was busy doing other teenage things. Then there was a hiatus. And then when we got to college, I did try so hard to sit quietly in a room while boys played Grand Theft Auto but I had a bit of a running with the police for a driving thing and it just put me off. I think driving without insurance is not a laughing matter. So that's why you've never played Grand Theft Auto? I've watched it's... people, I've watched you play it. Right, um... of course you have, yeah. So Grand Theft Auto for you is more a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's where my life could have gone for right. sure. Yeah, okay, for sure. cool, cool. I loved Street Fighter. I had a SNES, I played Street Fighter. Who was your character, Alex? My character was actually, weirdly enough, Guile, but that's because I was really shit at doing special moves that involved sort of twisting the the control pads. I couldn't fire a fireball. I could never do Hadouken. (laughs) And I know Ryu and Ken were the best characters. They were the ones that the best players played. But I could do back to forward and punch Sonic Boom. That was something I could do. Interestingly, a sequel because Street Fighter, the first game, was not a hit. Very simplistic, just a couple of characters you could play. They were both the same character in different colours, actually, Ken and Ryu. But the second game with the more characters, lots more moves, was huge. And that's why this is based on Street Fighter 2 rather than Street Fighter. Mm. And and if you do think the movie is strange, you can put that down to one person. And that is Stephen D'Souza, the man who wrote and directed it. Um, people know him for his writing credentials that he wrote um, Commando, Running Man, and his biggest hit was Die Hard. He did 48 Hours as well. Another 48 great Hours, film, yeah. great script. But he never directed a film. But Capcom came to him thinking that he might be the man to write this. And he said, they gave him 24 hours to come up with something. And he said, I will write you this, but my stipulation is you let me direct it. And he's going to write it in 24 hours. He wrote the plot. He wrote He wrote the idea down. He, he stayed up all night, came up with this plot. Right. Can you tell? In a day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he did, because he was like, what did he say? He approached them with the idea of going... I'm going to make James Bond meet Star Wars in the Street Fighter 2 universe. Well, he, he's, 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 as you say, the Bond thing, that's because they showed him some ideas and artwork they had for the future. And one of them was Bison, the, the, the villain, in a Bond-like lair. So that's what gave him the idea to make it, you know, like a James Bond villain. But also, they wanted to turn Street Fighter stories into G.I. Joe-like stories. Yeah, because basically G.I. Joe at the time, Capcom did a deal with Mattel who make G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe toys were plummeting in sales. Street Fighter 2 was huge. So they did a deal with Mattel going, we'll give you the license to do Street Fighter 2 characters in the G.I. Joe universe. Now, you know the bit where Jean-Claude Van Damme drives a tank through a wall? Yeah. And it's got two massive missiles yeah. On the side, you're like, oh, probably not the best tank to pick to run into well, a, a wall. It's a through a wall. Yeah. <laughs> he drives that particular tank because that's a G.I. Joe toy. Oh, it's so depressing. 
So you can blame D'Souza for, for the plot and the dialogue not being the best, but you could also blame Capcom because they he wanted to make the film with seven lead characters and they kept pushing him to put more and more characters in. They waited till he'd started filming, though. They went, absolutely, Stephen. Seven's a great number. Lucky number seven. He's like, so seven characters, yeah? And they're like, yeah, we just said, good old seven. And then they started filming. They were like, oh, yeah, by the way, we want uh, Native American Indian T-Hawk in there. And it got up to 15 in the end. He had a reason uh, for believing seven was the right number. He would talk to the, the, the execs about the seven wonders and the seven samurai. And then what he would do with the executives is he would say to them, can you name all seven dwarfs? Oh God. And he said they never could. <laughs> and because of that, he would say, well, seven is already too many characters. So we don't want to go over that. And so he said, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you can put more characters into a film. The Dirty Dozen is not a bad example. There's an Ocean's 13 that's pretty good. Babe, you can put as many as you want in. You just have to write them some good jokes. Like mm. it's just more writing to do, but it can be done. Well, I'll pull out four or five things I think that are worth talking about on this film. I believe the opening is uh, something I want to spend a bit of time on because it's remarkable. Uh, the amount of exposition that plays out <laughs> over the top of the opening credits and the opening five minutes. He, he, D'Souza said he wanted to make it all in the form of news bulletins because that would make the story uh, feel more plausible. <laughs> did, it make, did it make it feel more plausible to you? Yes. Um, so you've got... But it's so... That whole thing at the start, the idea that live on global news... Two military generals are having a slagging match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. part of me watched that and went, oh, I wish all wars yeah. in real life started with the two generals going, you will eat those words, Guile. Van Damme's like, yeah, come at me, dickhead. <laughs> he, says, he says, anytime, dickhead. Um, but, yeah, that's on the global news network, which yep. obviously uh, Is a real thing. doesn't have a swear button. But yes, Chun-Li's, Chun-Li's presenting the news and we, we were explained that it's there's a civil war in this in this state called Shandaloo. 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 I've written it down wrong. Yep. Uh, the capital has fallen to the power mad dictator M. Bison, who mm. has bought all this high-tech weaponry with his drug money. And he has seized 63 relief workers and he's hidden them somewhere. And he wants, Dr. Evil style, $20 billion. <laughs> but she delivers it like that as well. She <laughs> yeah. looks straight down the camera and goes, he's asking for $20 billion. <laughs> And he also he gives everyone three days. Three to days, do it, which three is days a, I think is extremely it. generous. With like, a clock, he has a clock yeah. behind him that starts you counting think, like, down. In terms of Jeffrey, like you've got ten yeah. minutes, like yeah. normal, but it's like you've got three whole days. <laughs> and I think internet banking, maybe at such an elite level, would have been a thing. You don't need three days. You don't need any time to gather money together. You just have to press send. So I think three days is outrageously generous. It, this predates the internet. It's not that easy back then. Three days, they have to... What, they have to uh, dig uh, the money out? <laughs> sending a telegram. <laughs> um, but during that news broadcast, there is something else I wanted to pull out. And it is, um, Guile messes things up from the off. Oh my God, are you going to talk about Charlie? Yeah. What the hell was he thinking? So Charlie, uh, who has worked with Guile in the past, is one of Bison's hostages. But Bison doesn't know yeah. that, 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 that his enemy has an emotional connection with one yeah. of his hostages until Guile starts shouting out, Charlie, hang on, buddy, we're coming. Hang on, buddy. And at this point, uh, Guile pulls Charlie Bison, out. Bison, you mean. Bison, really. Bison. Yeah. Sorry, these names are going to confuse me. Immediately, a light bulb goes off above his head. And pulls him out and takes him to the lab to be experimented upon. Yeah, it's amazing that there's a little callback to that later because later on when he finds out that Charlie has become blanker and he's turned like through this genetic experiment, his best friend, into this monster, he goes, what have they done to you? And you're like... <laughs> they didn't do anything. You did this. Yep. You literally stood on TV going, Charlie, are you there? Charlie, <laughs> five foot nine, brown, brown hair. <laughs> Goes by the name Carlos. <laughs> A small mole on your left cheek. <laughs> yeah. The only leverage Bison has yeah. over me. Are you there? And then he has the nerve to try and kill him. Towards the end, he's like, oh, I'll put a bullet in your head. He's like, you can have a life. This is all your fault. Yeah, it requires Dr. Dalsim to go, hang on a second. Should you really be the person to do that? Yeah. The Charlie subplot is so they could shoehorn uh, Blanca into this story because mm. Blanca's kind of monstrous. And so Bison's plan is to create the perfect soldier. And to do that, he clockwork oranges him by playing footage of war and violence 
uh, into his eyeballs while pumping green DNA mutagens into yeah. his body that turn him into the TV Hulk with, with the orphan Annie's hair. With orphan Annie's hair. <laughs> <laughs> true. So a huge chunk of the budget of this film was spent on two of the actors, uh, Raoul Julia and John Paul Van Damme. One so of I th- them representing significantly better value for money. Well, than we the need other. we need to talk about both their performances and their characters. Who do you want to do first? Raoul Julia, because he's a freaking legend. So we should say, obviously, he was um, he was sick before the shooting started. He'd, he'd had gruelling treatment for stomach cancer. He was apparently given a clean bill of health, but throughout the shoot, he was working out and drinking weight-gaining milkshakes because he does look a bit gaunt. And to be honest, my memory of watching this in 95 was that it was quite a sad final thing for him to be in this film that I didn't think was particularly good, giving this performance where he was very ill. But watching it, he gives a hell of a performance. He This may be one of the best performances of his career. Absolutely. And also, it was worth saying that he was amazing, by all accounts, on set. Despite his illness, despite his weakness, he did all his own stunts and insisted on doing them. All the wire work that you see when Bison's flying around at the end is him. He was like, look, it will make for a better movie. I will do that. And the story is, and I did... I told you, I got a little bit emotional. I was sort of watching a video that someone made talking about why Raoul Julia did this movie. Obviously, it was his final film, and he did it because his kids loved oh, yeah. Street Fighter 2. And I was like, I need to go to the pub. Well, you do have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of a satire of the great dictators. He studied Mussolini and does a lot. I don't know if you know, he does a lot of Mussolini poses yeah. uh, when he's giving his big speeches. He has plans to build Bisonopolis. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually, for all his, oh, he's an evil dictator, he's really put a lot of thought into this new city. He's going to replace the existing Shadaloo Temple mm-hmm. with a new city, Bisonopolis. And the guy's like, here we go, this is a model, and it's a big model, and he walks around and he goes, no, no, no. The food court <laughs> has to be bigger because all the big brands will want a place. Which is just, it's true. And he's just thinking ahead. Like, he's an evil dictator, but in terms of city planning, he seems to have it nailed. <laughs> I thought he, as a as a Nazi dictator type, his costumes, flawless, his attitude, his mannerisms. And, the only, and I liked this, but the only thing that seemed a little bit off was his cocktail cabinet. I was expecting something a bit more brutalist, a bit more art deco. The cabinet is like this fun, shishi, plastic pop art. And I think he makes it like, hey, who wants a Singapore sling? Let's just chill out, which I think is at odds. Well, you clearly haven't read the Pax Bisonica. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Pax Bisonica, you say? (laughs) Yes. Would you like to hear his speech where he explains his plot? Go on. Here we go. Carlos Blanca will be the first of many. They shall march out of my laboratory. And sweep away every adversary, every creed, every nation. Until the very planet is in the loving grip of the Pax Bisonica. There you go. How do you hear that and then not immediately go, I have to watch this movie, that sounds incredible. So we've got um, Bison later in the film, uh, tries to have some sexy time. Vicky, what were your feelings about his efforts to woo Chun-Li? With a cocktail? Well, he changes... <laughs> he, he changes Big out... tick for me, double tick. <laughs> he changes out of his dictator uniform and puts on his dictator pyjamas. hell of a velvet jacket that was um, <laughs> astonishing. No, he makes the cocktail, he puts on sexy music, he dims the light. And he lets her talk, which is always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> about when tell you... me about yourself. Tell me your backstory, <laughs> tell babe. Me, tell me about your dad, Yeah, Lee. Tell me about your quest for vengeance. <laughs> Who I murdered. I was initially a bit cross because obviously she's had time to have a costume change or presumably he's changed her costume because that's what you do when you capture a woman. That's what you do when you're contractually obliged to put the character yeah, in her the, uniform like, from the game. I would have been cross. It's like, oh, here you are, chained to a wall in a tiny dress. But I wanted to see that dress because that's what I remember from the game. So I wasn't cross at all about that. I don't remember that dress in the game. She wore blue in the game with white, dress. Yeah, yeah. white boots. A lot of the colours they seem to have switched in, in the film. I don't know if that was because they were going to switch them up in toys or make two versions of the toys. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because Stephen D'Souza said he didn't just want to parachute in elements from the video game. Why not? I, 
from the hugely successful video. He, he also, on the commentary, also said he felt the tournament thing had been played out, which is why there's no tournament in this. Okay. Mate, it's what the game is. <laughs> it's called an adaptation. <laughs> you talked at the start about how there's very little brawling in this movie, and that's because Raul Julia arrived on set and they were going to shoot a lot of his stuff first, his dialogue scenes, allowing the rest of the cast to train in all the stunt choreography. But he arrived and because he just finished his therapy, he was he looked really, really gaunt. And Stephen E. D'Souza was like, we can't actually shoot him at the moment. So he switched around the whole schedule to move all Raul Julia's dialogue to the end, which meant they had to shoot all the cast stunts at the start and they hadn't rehearsed. So the stunt coordinator, Charlie Pisserni, basically said, I had often a few hours before the scene to train people and they improvised a lot of the stunt work and uh, they also improvised a lot of the dialogue in those scenes, which I think comes across. One of my favourites, um, you know, I have a real problem with just like the way to button a scene. Like you just have to keep going through the lines. Like if you're improvising, fine, but just keep going, keep going until you say something good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Sagat is saying to Jean-Claude Van Damme, I own this city. He's talking about Shadaloo and he's being put in prison. He's like, I'm, this is not going to work. Like, I will be back. I am the evil lord. Yeah. I own this city. And John claude Van Damme says to him, I'm the Reaper Man and you're out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Just come on. Like, oh, I'm the Reaper Man. I kill your business. Even that's better. No, he's Repo Man. He's oh, not... what? Come on. <laughs> I thought he was Reaper, like Grim Reaper. No. Oh, my God, I was so cross about that. I was like, yeah. that's so shit. Do you want to apologise to Steve D'Souza yeah, right now? Yeah, I I'm really sorry. That's absolutely fine. That's perfect. Yeah, the Repo Man. There is a great Saga line. Oh, actually, some funny lines in this where Saga is, he's talking to Ryu, and Ryu, they're having this big cage fighting match, and Ryu's like, did you not know there was a 7pm curfew? And Saga goes, I am Shadaloo. No one tells me anything in Shadaloo. And then you hear a loudspeaker <laughs> on a helicopter go, there is a 7pm curfew in force. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> but then he, he has all his men pointing guns at Ryu and Ken. It's the guns that they were going to sell him and he's stolen them already. And he's all like, punked. And <laughs> he gets his men to point the guns at Ryu and Ken. And this is the weirdest thing, which is like, oh, what? Are you afraid of your own weapons? implies some kind of thing. No, because they're our weapons. They would never... They would never turn on us. They would never turn on us. <laughs> yeah. It's like Ramsay Bolton and his hounds from Game of Thrones. <laughs> My hounds would never hurt me. <laughs> There's a documentary on the Blu-ray of this. And yes, I did buy the Blu-ray. Thanks for that, Alex. Um, <laughs> and um, Jean-Claude Van Damme compares those scenes with Sagat to the deer hunter. Oh, okay. <laughs> which makes me th makes me wonder what he was on when they were making this movie. You know perfectly well. Which, which <laughs> he was on Kylie Minogue. Oh, <laughs> oh no, that's naughty. That what? is naughty. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had an affair during the filming of this. Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. Because yeah. she's actually pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of only seven movies she's ever made, and uh, of which I've seen three. I've seen this, Moulin Rouge, obviously, where she plays oh, she's the, good in that. the green absinthe fairy. Yeah. And the other one was San Andreas, which I forgot she was in. You know, oh. the, you didn't go and see the delinquents. I missed the delinquents. Everyone, everyone in my school went to see that because it was 1989 when she was at the height of her neighbour's fame. And I think you saw a bit of boob or something. So everyone went like, to see that. I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's actually on my phone if you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, we, but that brings us to John Claude Van Damme as all American hero Guile. <laughs> Miscast? Nope. Well, no one else can do that. Um, All American. I mean, that's a, that's an issue, maybe. But but then that was the. I mean, it, it's supposed to is be the American dream, but it was the American dream that you can be American. You you go, you get your citizenship. You are American. They're much better than we are mm. at accepting people from all over the world and saying you make it on your own merit. We don't care about your history, exactly. about your. And he's got an American flag tattooed on his arm. <laughs> and that's part of the citizenship. You know, you once you've yeah. got the tattoo, you are in. I was trying to think who should have played this in 1994. And I think Kurt Russell would have been your man. No. And I think he would have looked great with that hair. But if you were going to go for the hair from the video game, then the video game, Giles' hair is like this vertical, amazing thing. You've got to have Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice is the person <laughs> to play He would have loved Gar. to have done it. As well. <laughs> Bloody would. So D D'Souza said a couple of things about Van Damme's accent and his performance. He said that the, the Japanese who were funding this, the Capcom guys, didn't actually know that, that Van Damme has a very strong accent because he's dubbed in a Japanese accent in all their movies. So they'd never heard him speak. So they wanted him because they liked his look. But also D'Souza wrote Commando and Running Man. 
for Schwarzenegger, who obviously has a, a very strong Austrian accent, he said that what he would do with Arnie, he would go to his trailer before the shoot with the script and they would go through it line by line with Arnie practising saying the words. Mm-hmm. And if he had trouble with any sentences, they would just change them to sentences that were easier for him to pronounce. Yeah, but the thing is, Arnie can really deliver a withering put down. Like you look at the line in Commando where the guy's like, hey, John, you, you, you said you'd kill me last. And Arnie goes, I lied. <laughs> Great. The thing is, Van Damme can't do that. For whatever reason, the way they intonate is completely different. Mm. I remember reading a story about when Van Damme did a cameo in Friends and the writers did a whole session where they practice his accent and then read lines in his accent to see if they were still funny as delivered by Jean-Claude Van Damme and then only give him lines that he could say in his own unique way of speaking. I think he just can't be arsed because he's like, he smashes it in those adverts for cold beer that he's in. He's got no problems well, there. He, but... D'Souza. Thanks for not naming the brand in case. Uh... I'm so BBC. <laughs> yeah. I've got my eyes on the prize. Looking you sponsors. do your own thing. <laughs> but, uh, D'Souza offered to go through the script with him, but he, he refused. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm off out. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, regarding the substance abuse, I, I, I interviewed D'Souza a couple of years ago and, and he's recently started talking about this shoot in what was happening behind the scenes. And so uh, this is what he told The Guardian about uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme on set. He says, I couldn't talk about it at the time, but I can now. Jean-Claude was coked out of his mind. The studio hired a wrangler to take care of him, but unfortunately the wrangler himself was a bad influence. Jean-Claude was calling in sick so much, I had to keep looking through the script to find something else to film. On two occasions, the producers allowed him to go to Hong Kong and both occasions he came back late. On Mondays, he just wasn't there at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Four day week. It's funny. There's a bit where he screwed up one of the big set pieces in the film. You know the bit where he comes up from the lab and they think it's going to be blanker and it's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh my God, yeah. And he like pings out of that chamber <laughs> like he's been catapulted. Like no human ever has had that strength. Yeah, he sort of does a flying kick over an eight foot yeah. metal fence. Launched out yeah. of there. And his one line was to shout at Chun-Li and go, get out of here. I'll see you later. And he did it, and they had all the pyrotechnics going off, and he does it, and he goes, get out of here, I'll see you later, and then stops and goes, sorry, cut, which is, like, never really what an actor, sorry, cut. Not technically your decision. (laughs) And he's like, and Jungle Van Damme's like, I said ladder. I said ladder later. I said ladder, and Stephen (laughs) Hinders is like, you didn't, because I just said cut. (laughs) You did. Also, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, really? (laughs) Look around you. It will be fine. (laughs) But then Stephen just watched it back and was like, you said later. And he's like, oh, yeah, so I did. Sorry Sorry about that. (laughs) How did you feel about his uh, big speech, his big kind of Bill Pullman Independence Day speech? I thought the the speech was brilliant. I thought he did well. I thought it was well written. Hmm. And Simon Callow has to look really uncomfortable. Brilliant fun. He recorded that the day after the 50th anniversary of D-Day which okay. apparently they watched the news together and that's what inspired him and that's why it's so authentic, according to D'Souza. I don't know. I mean, he goes, I'm going to kick M. Bison's ass so hard, the next M. Bison wannabe is going to feel it. Brilliant. And then he turns and you can see tears in his eyes. And I was that's like, cocaine. <laughs> I'm on such Just cocaine dust. A calm down. <laughs> I feel so fucking edgy. Jesus Christ, how long is this day? Look at me, I'm in tears. Has anyone got any KFC? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's up there though with, we will not go quietly into the night. Really? <laughs> I like it. Um, so, so you're happy? You're a fan of his performance in this because I thought he was quite bad, but I'm getting a sense that no, you it's thought just he patchy. was good. The speech is good. Everything else is not good. Yeah, I know it's Van Damme. He does the flash kick that Guile does at the end. Yeah, he somersaults backwards. Yeah. Uh, twice. I'm like bad ass, <laughs> and yet he does not do the splits. Weird, that is. How it? did that happen? How is was that, that allowed to happen? Is that a contractual thing? Do you have a story? I feel no, like, no, I don't oh, have you know, a story. No, I'm, no. I'm still scratching my head. It's weird because that's his signature thing. Maybe yeah. he felt he'd done it too much. Do you know where it ranks in uh, the biggest box offices that Van Damme has ever managed? At no, the I second? No, no, it doesn't. First? No. Oh, Expendables, I suppose. Well, if we take out... So this is movies led by Jean-Claude Van Damme. If we take out Expendables 2 and Kung Fu Panda 2, where he voices Master Cop... I'd say Time Cop is a big one. Time Cop is number one, yeah. Number one is Time Cop. And I thought this would be number two. Number two is Universal Soldier. Ah. Number three is, like I said, a John Woo Hollywood American debut, Hard Target, which is a freaking great film. Mm. 
And four is Street Fighter. It's the fourth biggest. But he was on such a roll at this point. He was like crossing over into the mainstream. He'd done his time on Bloodsport and Kickboxer. And now he was this household name. And he was, I read an interview with him uh, where he was saying that at this point in time, he was offered a contract for five films and they pay him 12 million per film. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I want 20 million. And he said it was the it was the cocaine, and it it's was just I was not in a that. good place. That's his agent. No, no, he said it was him. He well, said he just I was rang him up and went twelve million. That's <laughs> well, insulting. Well, he told his agent because he, he he just said I just my I wasn't in my right mind. I thought I was the biggest deal in the world, and I thought I could get twenty million, and that's where it all started going wrong for him. Did it though? I mean, those beer commercials are funny. <laughs> They're really funny. <laughs> yeah, but what, what happened in the 20 years in between, I think? He just spent his money and just practised the splits. And... Well, he was going to get a sequel in 2003. It was going to be him and Dolph Lundgren and Holly Valance, and it never materialised. Oh, that's a shame. Well, that's some irony there, that this was based on Street Fighter 2, and yet there never was a Street Fighter 2. Oh, I see. Oh, right. yeah, see? Right, yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Just felt like I was in memento for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, the rating, I think, is a strange story as well. If we talk about what that what happened with that behind the scenes, Capcom wanted PG-13, which is what D'Souza shot. But then he claims there'd been a school shooting just before they, they tried to get their rating from the MPAA. Mm-hmm. And so the MPAA immediately said, this is too violent. So he trimmed out all the gunshots, the bloods, the head snaps and all that stuff. And they got a G rating, which was the kiss of death for a film like this, because no kid who likes Street Fighter wants to watch a G-rated film. And so they added a shit to it to get the PG-13. But he said that um, it's like the most bloodless PG-13 there's ever been. Mm. And and D'Souza calls it um, a wussy film, is how he describes it. Although Cammy, Kylie Minogue, does do a neck snap at one point. Mm. She does, yeah. It's kind of hot. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) But I mean, he said, as I said, D'Souza said that tournaments had been all played out, but I don't see why we couldn't have introduced characters via fights or Mm. had, like, I feel like he could have taken the Die Hard plot. Die Hard is almost like a tournament Mm. where where, um, Bruce Willis goes from floor to floor fighting a different levels, yeah. Yeah, fighting a different villain until he gets to the the big bad boss. Yeah. Because Stephen E. D'Souza spent so long having to rejig it to get that PG-13 rating and remove the R rating. He couldn't add a lot of the effects in, which is why, although we do get Ryu throwing a fireball, you never really see it. Oh, he moves his hands. Yeah, and there's yeah. a tiny little flash like of blue. Poof. Yeah, it's like... Like little Pikachus. <laughs> uh, would you like some Tilly trivia for this one? Some what? Tilly Trivia. Have you just come up? Is that what we're calling a section in the show Like now? I say, eyes on the I've prize. Written, I've, written, I've, written, I've written it down. I've written down the section, Tilly Week Trivia. Week two, someone's got a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'd like some trivia. Yeah. <laughs> just, just some trivia. Okay. Tilly uh, Trivia. Tilly. <laughs> Definitely Tilly Trivia, this section. The DJ that you can hear in the background for a lot of the film. I know this. Is Adrian Cronar, the DJ from Good Morning Vietnam. Well, yeah. Is that not obvious? Well, I bet it's the actual DJ. Yeah. Not like, so it's the one that Robin Williams' character was based on. Yep. It's actually him. Yeah. Well, I'd never heard his voice before. Did you know his but, voice? But he lifted his style of talking in Good Morning Vietnam and... All right, it doesn't matter. But, but hang on. No, I mean, but sure. I mean, sure I know it wasn't th- Robin Williams, if you're about to say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that either. I know you know it wasn't Robin Williams. What I'm saying is... I thought you'd assume, like I did, it was just someone doing an impersonation of that. Good morning, Shadaloo. Okay, yeah. I mean, maybe I did think that, but then you telling me it's not, it's like, okay. No, it actually is him, though. Yeah, no, and no, I get that now. I suppose I'm All not right, just... this was just supposed to be a quick section. <laughs> yeah. This just going on way too long. you know what we long. shouldn't ever you know do again? I am doing? <laughs> Tilly yeah. trivia. I'm just trying to undermine him because I'm jealous. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask if you guys know who Joe Bugner is, but... Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, of course. Joey B. <laughs> <laughs> he is the prison torturer who gets punched out late in the film. He, oh, yeah. He got punched out by Muhammad Ali in real life. He's a famous boxer. Did you just say Muhammad Ali is a famous boxer? <laughs> no, Joe Bugner. Joe Bugner is. Right, yeah. like, like, walk me through everything. This is a disaster. <laughs> this is a disaster. Yeah, Some I, things I, I know. I'm going to be honest. Tilly Trivia is very patronising. Yes. I'm going to set fire to Tilly Trivia. No, please don't. Let's just try it again. We should talk about the odd decisions that Stephen D'Souza makes with some of the characters. This is related to the video game, but I find it very strange that... E Honda is now a, some kind of vision mixer, TV producer oh, yeah. <laughs> in this, and he's best friends with Balrog, who in the game is one of M Bison's henchmen, and in this they're like buddies and they have a bit of banter, including oh yeah, <laughs> the weirdest bit of banter. Now they get locked up together by Bison in this jail cell, and 
Balrog says to E Honda at one point, oh, give me a hand. And Honda goes, we've only been in jail two hours, maybe next month. It took me ages to get it because my brain wasn't in that frame of mind of like, that is a very dirty joke. Right, okay, good. It wasn't just me. I was like, is that a hand job joke? Yeah, but it's also a brilliant joke. It's not a hand job joke though. What do you mean? It is. No, it's about food because I rewound it and they're talking. (laughs) That's unfair because you just set me up. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I thought it was like. It's a hand job joke. (laughs) It's not. It's because they were just talking about it. He's like, oh man, I'm hungry. It's a cannibalism joke. Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. That's not how it lands. (laughs) I know. (laughs) There there was some S&M stuff going on in here as well. I thought the torture scene was a bit homoerotic and then you had Chun-Li handcuffed for sex with Bison I thought there were some weird undertones in what is essentially a kids film well they say you read into it what you want you bring something of yourself yep. through every viewing Absolutely. I mean that's how films work very sexy film <laughs> um, so five star one star review uh, I got a five star f- review from R. Hicks who says this film has a flying Nazi in a bright red uniform who has a penchant for big capes do you really think this is going to be Oscar fodder it's the cinema equivalent of a greasy fry-up. Really bad, but utterly enjoyable. Right, I 100% agree with that review. That is how I feel about this movie. It's a camp classic. Yeah. Did you write this? Are you R. Hicks? Mm-hmm, yeah. It's pronounced Hicks. <laughs> I couldn't find too many one-star reviews, which is a weird thing. I think, uh, Because this... it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> so I, I instead, I, well, I, I took Becky White's one-star review, which isn't so much a review, you'll see. So Becky says, I was looking forward to watching it and opened it, but it was a completely different film in it. Some reason I've ended up with the sixth day. <laughs> and she even, that is a win as well. Yeah. She even posted a photograph of the of the Street Fighter case open with the sixth day in it. The less so. of a review, more of a customer complaint. Exactly. I will say 1994 is when this came out. So just to give you an idea of some of the other movies that did well, because this is, for all intents and purposes, a big action romp. That was the same year that we had True Lies and Speed come out, which made it into the top five movies of that year. And those are the kind of quality action movies that came out mm-hmm. simultaneously. I was in America the week this came out and I went to the cinema with my folks. We could have seen Street Fighter, but I got to decide what we saw because I was the little geek and I picked Dumb and Dumber instead. Oh, dear. <laughs> which is to this day one of my favourite comedies. So I made the right decision. I have no problem with you picking that. Also, full respect to Stephen D'Souza, though, because he wrote and directed this, which made 100 million, just under 100 million. But he did also write the sixth biggest grossing movie that year, which was the Flintstones movie. Oh, good. <laughs> so he landed on his feet, which he then used to power his car. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, right, what a waste of time. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, so that was Street Fighter, which means Vicky. Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. You got... Mortal Kombat! Go on. I watched Mortal Kombat, which could have been a taut, character-heavy and plot-driven reimagining of one of the most successful fighting franchises in the history of video games, but instead is some kicking on the beaches, pushing in a cave, talking on a ledge, and then the end. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong! Funny, but wrong! Yeah, no, I know. Three strangers. will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld to defend our people against Shang Tsung. You will die. 
thing is, I watched the I watched Mortal Kombat first, and I was like, this is. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like a film. There isn't characters driving the story, et cetera, et cetera. But then um, having watched Street Fighter last night, I've sort of come back around and I do love Mortal Kombat more for having watched Street Fighter. Wait, have you just revealed what you're going to be picking at no, the no, end? No, no, I'm so, no. No, no, no. Um, Save it for the sorry, climax. Save it for the end. So, and I think um, <laughs> the reason I enjoyed Mortal Kombat anyway... Even well, that sounds really awful. The reason I enjoyed Mortal Kombat at all is that I remember playing it a bit. Yeah, when I was younger. Um, so you I were did... you were a Mortal Kombat rather than a Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, but any I remember any victory I had was completely by accident. So you know, you're just like whacking. <laughs> is that because you like the ultra violence? Because Mortal Kombat was famous for two reasons. It had kind of the photorealistic characters yeah. when, it, when it kicked off, but also it was the violent one. It Fatality! Was the, it was yeah. the reason uh, that game ratings came in. It's one of the main reasons yeah. because of how violent it was. So you like the you had bloodlust. Mm. But I always played Sub-Zero because he is a cheat, actually. Um, and, and he is called a cheat later on in this film. And that's, that's the reason I did that, because it was easier to win. Yeah. It's a great, great movie. Obviously, I think that. Because I picked it. Mm. And I am a huge Paul Dunn. W.S. Anderson fan. Now, this is 1995 this came out, so we are still two years away from him making his masterpiece mm-hmm. that was Event Horizon. You love that film It's so a brilliant much. film. It's, it's a brilliant <laughs> film. One which of I the will, greatest films ever. Which I can't watch again because it's too frightening. It's terrifying. I read that um, Paul W.S. Anderson, after doing Mortal Kombat... Wouldn't do the sequels. He's like, I'm going to go off and do Event Horizon. Actually, I don't really like sequels. Like, I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. And then was like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do 208 Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Like, a man of his word. Yeah. Before we get into the cast who are in this, who I think are very good in this, by the way, the original cast is kind of an astonishing combination. It was going to be Jean-Claude Van Damme playing Johnny Cage. Brandon Lee uh, was going to play Liu Kang. And then it was going to be Cameron Diaz yeah. as Sonya Blade. And <laughs> yeah. like, but she like was literally, it wasn't just like, we'll ask. And she went, no. She got did all the training and then broke her wrist just before it started. And so they had to bring in Bridget Wilson. Before I watched it and I read about um, Brandon Lee possibly have going to be in it, I mean, instantly I was like, I would have loved it because I was have a weird disproportionate affection for the crow, given who I am as a person. Mm. I think it seems a bit odd. I used to work in this... Um, kitchen and there was a goth girl doing the washing up and she was really mean and really standoffish and really sneery and I was trying to be friends with her and just trying to talk to her and she was like well my favourite film is The Crow actually she's like you'll never like it because you've got blonde hair I was like well I'll watch this The Crow and then we'll see and I watched The Crow and I loved it so much and then we were just like great friends she was just like feast all the family she's like if you like The Crow you like me you're one of my friends it was brilliant well you're right because he was very charismatic Brandon Lee wasn't he looked great he had had lots of charisma he could act and it actually would have connected this film with Enter the Dragon which is basically what this is this is like a crappy Enter the Dragon without a brilliant charismatic lead did that need the word crappy just it's it's like Enter the Dragon it's like Enter the Dragon Mortal Kombat begins so we meet our fighters we meet Liu Kang we meet Sonya we meet Johnny Cage and we know Sonya is a badass because she's hunting Kano and he growls um I love punctuality in a woman (laughs) which is (laughs) odd so it's like so she's going to be someone to not mess about well, with. She's going to be there on time. She's going to be there on time and she's going to be shooting people. She shoots someone in that scene um, in a nightclub with a shotgun and the music doesn't stop. No, no one... And people keep dancing. <laughs> no one notices. No one even blinks. <laughs> um, and then we meet Johnny Cage. I would like to talk a little bit about Johnny Cage. Please do. Because by the end of this film and also in the few days that have passed, I'm completely in love with that man. Like as a man, as a character, like this whole sort of wired Gen Xer short back inside, spotless trouser thing. Like, I just... I'm. Lyndon Ashby is the actor who plays him. But you're right. The one thing I find weird is that he fights all his fights in his suit. He's in his suit, yeah. He's in his suit. And it's upsetting because in the original game, the outfit that he was given was a nod to Van Damme because in the game, he has the same outfit as... Uh, Van Damme does in Bloodsport. And yeah, we never see that. But what does he have in the suit as well while he's fighting? $500 sunglasses. Oh, yeah. And... A signed photograph of himself. Oh, yeah, I love Which that he carries around. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He's I, an egotistical actor, isn't he? He's, wow. a, he's a Hollywood guy who wants to be taken seriously as a martial artist. Yeah, because he's called out as fake at the start. Everyone has their own mission. Liu Kang is on a revenge mission because his brother was killed by Shing Tsung, the sorcerer. 
Sonya Blade is after Kano. So actually, once she kills Kano she halfway through... She could just through, go home. <laughs> right? She's still there. It's like... Yeah. You, you can get on that girl ship and you can just sail on out of here. But that headline, the headlines on that uh, National Examiner, yeah. which goes, Johnny Cage, a fake. Yeah. The other headlines are quite funny. One is, amazing, 98.4% of all products made in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to get on to the one guy who you haven't mentioned of the main ones? She's oh, not what? finished with Johnny Cage yet. Oh, okay. Who are you? Who are you looking forward to? Liu Kang or Lord Raiden? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The screen legend. Yeah, he's he's obviously excellent. Like his whole. So Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade are at a dockside waiting for this strange ghost ship to turn up to take them somewhere. And they get on the boat and they're like, what's going on? And then Christopher Lambert is just there like an owl, like sort of perched on on some luggage. He's like, let me tell you everything in lots of exposition. It'll take about five to ten minutes. I've written, down, I've written down his Basil exposition in this film. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say I freaking love Christopher Lambert. Like his movies, like, Highlander, obviously, is where I first discovered him. Fortress is one of the best sci-fi movies I've ever seen. Uh, Mortal Kombat, he's great in this. And he's doing Christopher Lambert. He does funny stuff with lines, like the bit on the boat where he goes, one of you will decide the outcome of the tournament. The fate of billions rests in your hands. And then he goes... (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, sorry. Yeah, and they kept that in. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. So you're not going to like this question I'd written down, Alex. I, I wrote down, has has Christopher Lambert ever been good? Yes. Greystoke. He's good in this. I know he was dubbed in Greystoke. He's, I mean, he's really bad in this. No, he's, he's the best thing in it. Are you kidding? <laughs> he, right, he, first of all, rewind. Christopher Lambert is not only fantastic in this movie, he's so funny. He is genuinely, by all accounts, an amazing dude as well. He was contracted for a certain amount of time by the studio and they wouldn't fly him to Thailand to do all the exterior shots. So Paul Thomas and... Paul, yeah, oh, dear. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, he went on to boogie nights from this. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, he, Paul Anderson basically went, right, we're going to do all your close-ups in LA and then I'll get a double to do all the wide shots when we're in Thailand. And Christopher Lambert went... Mm, if I came to Thailand, would it make a better movie? And Paul Anderson's like, well, yeah. He's like, I'll come to Thailand. And he came to Thailand free to shoot the exterior stuff. And then when he was there, paid for the rap party yeah, out amazing. of his own money. <laughs> yeah. What a legend. Yeah, he's brilliant. Apart from acting. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, I think I don't, I don't get it with him. I don't think he's particularly good. I like Highlander the film, but I don't think he's very good in it. I'm Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod and I'm immortal. <laughs> except him with a French accent. <laughs> well, I think he's Christophe Lambert, he except is, yeah. when he came to America, yeah. like, Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he looks, <laughs> yeah, all right, pets. <laughs> he looks like Gandalf, talks like Yoda, and I got slightly frustrated with this film with everyone talking in riddles. That's fine to do a bit, you know, with your, with your Star Wars, they drop the odd one in. But this one, half the character's... Only yeah, speaking riddles. The three of them, so the, the trio, so Liu Kang and Sonya and Johnny Cage ask Lord Raiden for advice about how to beat Lord Goral. And they're like, oh, how can we possibly win against a creature like this? And he's like, look inside yourself and confront your enemy. It's like, how about some actual practical yes. advice? Like, kick him in the bollocks, which is what <laughs> happens. <laughs> like, um, I don't want to pick you up on it. He's not, Goro's not a lord. He's a Prince, he's Prince Goro. I am, so, God, I just, I am I'm absolutely mortified. I mean, look, he's got four arms and he's made of muscle, so <laughs> show him some goddamn respect, yeah? <laughs> I don't know what to say. I feel awful. Yeah. Another one is when the princess... Katana. Uh, Katana says to win the next match, use the element which brings life. I was frustrated with this. It's like, oh, so you can speak? So like, when no, she, but because when she, you, no, but she's better at smouldering, yeah. so they just she's let her very sm- go over there and yeah. smoulder, then sit there and smoulder. But then yeah. I was like, oh, she's forbidden by her spells. She's mute and she cannot reveal the secret. And she's like, come over here and I'll tell you everything. Yeah. But I won't actually say water. Which be, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. I thought she meant just sperm. Use, I thought sperm is I the element that, that brings No, life. that's fine. I thought that. What that's is just, wrong with you people? Yeah. I know it's not an element, but that's what I, went through I my didn't. head. I was like, oh, she means sperm. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think part of the reason that people have a lot of fun with this script and do quite weird stuff, according to Lyndon Ashby, the guy who plays Johnny Cage, the script that they got from Kevin Droney, who had been writing the Highlander TV series before this, this was his first feature, although... Just because we were talking about it last week, he did go on to write the Matthew Lillard, Freddie Prince Jr. sci-fi Wing Commander. Okay. So he wrote this script, and by all accounts, 
well, I say by all accounts, by Lyndon Ashby's account, it wasn't very good. So all the actors put a lot of work in improvising, making it better to the point when Lyndon Ashby bumped into Kevin Droney at a Christmas party. Kevin Droney introduced him to his date as, this is the guy I was telling you about, the guy that ruined my script. Oh, bitter, bitterness. Johnny Cage, if he's made those lines up, then he should think about writing as a career. Like There's a bit where he's going to go and fight. Who is he going to go and fight? Prince Gor. He's going to go and do a big fight, yep. right? And he <laughs> do says, a big do fight. a big fight. And he says to so she's like, you can't do this. And he's like, I can't let that happen. I can't let you get killed because their friend had just been killed. Oh, by yeah. Prince Gor. And it's like, first of all, when did you two get so close? Yep. Like, why would you give a shit? Like, it's fine, that, but you have just met and you don't seem to get on that well. And so <laughs> a, a normal response would be like, please don't risk your life for me in another dimension because... I'm not. I wouldn't do it for you. Like basically. <laughs> anyway, so the the standard sort of back and forth. She's like, "You're the most egotistical, arrogant son of a bitch." And he walks up and says, "Don't forget, good looking." Yeah, I know. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. There's a bit in it which uh, he goes, "Go out to a tournament." He said, "It'll be good for your career." He said, and I'm like, "That is so close to the Bruce Willis. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs." Line in Die Hard. <laughs> There's that rip off of. Um... The Indiana Jones scene, the Indiana uh, Jones and the Temple of Doom, where they're sort of perched on a ledge. So the trio, Liu Kang, Sonya and Johnny Cage, sort of peeking in on this banquet oh, that yes. Prince Goro's having with uh, Kano. a man. Kano. Kano, that's it. And he's a like, man. a man devouring legs of turkey or something. I just, I'm, I'm imagining some sort of mythical chicken. A mythical chicken. Because it's it's big and they're in another realm. That's a good point, actually. They're in another realm, but all the food stuffs are recognisable. Like there's a big, there's a lobster platter. Yeah. There's I a KFC. You, there's a KFC. <laughs> what the sets put me in mind of? Have you ever been on one of those like immersive theatre experiences? There's also like um, a drinks promotional tie-in. Mm. So you go to like a shopping centre in Hammersmith, and then it's a crypt, and then you get a mai tai at the end. No, blank <laughs> faces all around. What are you talking about? Was this like a foreigner to secret cinema? <laughs> is this a dream? Is this a dream you had? No, it's, this happens. It's a, it's a thing. It's um. You it's go a... to Hammersmith shopping centre, walk into a crypt, and someone gives you a mai tai. I literally went to Shepherd's Bush shopping centre, and it was meant to be um, for a Captain Morgan rum tie-in thing. Mm. Uh, other rooms are available. Was this a man dressed as a pirate? There was a man dressed as a pirate. Oh, no. Losing us sponsors by the second. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to pick through this underground car park that they'd pretended to turn into um, sort of like a tiki island, and then you got a rum drink at the end. Anyway, it looked like this. It did. <laughs> but the thing is, the sets on this, in fact, the whole look of this film, so this cost half of what Street Fighter cost, and I would argue this looks a lot better than Street Fighter does. Yeah, but it didn't make right. a lot of sense, I thought, some of the sets. So one minute you're on a beach and Johnny Cage walks around the corner and he's in an orchard. He just went for a stroll. In yeah, the woods, didn't I, he? Like, I didn't understand the geography the beach, of this like, island. Trying it... to strangle someone with their tiny little legs. And then Johnny Cage is like, I'm just going to go for a walk in the woods and then get into what is now my fight scene. The scorpion fight that Johnny Cage has, he's actually fighting his teacher in real life and the teacher went to kick him. Uh, and Johnny Cage is wearing, Lyndon Ashby's wearing pads and somehow his teacher's heel gets between Ooh. the pads and hit him in the kidney and he was peeing blood for a week. Oh! Yeah, people got injured on this movie. Um, do either of you watch In the Night Garden? No. Someone listening might watch In the Night Garden. Um, I thought that... Don- to just establish what it is. They already know. That one person already <laughs> knows. I thought that Johnny Cage's fight with Scorpion looked like it was in the Tombly Boo tree house. Just ladders and skeletons. What are your thoughts on uh, <laughs> Scorpion's uh, hand snake? Oh, uh, love it. Yeah. I mean, it's because difficult... in the game, that's like a chain rope thing. Yeah. It's not got teeth. Yeah. Oh, you should make a point or we should make the point that. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Come here. Get over here. Was there that's something weird. penile about that? Um, I mean, there is about all. You put a lot of yourself into what you take. From the <laughs> I, I will say Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. <laughs> Johnny Cash is a great musician. Also, though, Johnny Cage gets the hardest first fight in this film because Liu Kang gets a dude with dreads and a stick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sonya Blade gets a guy with a metal faceplate. Johnny Cage gets an undead ninja with a creature that lives in his hand, a skull for a head that breathes fire and bleeds lava. I'd be like, sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) But then that's what annoyed me later about Sonya Blade. Like, she's killed a man and she's exacted her revenge and she's, like, laser-focused. And then she just gets a bit kidnapped. 
and that's it. Like, and dressed up in Betty Rubble's she's, yeah, outfit. Yeah, like, her hair gets all loosey-goosey and she's just like... <laughs> Why has she got no shoes on? I found that upsetting. That is upsetting. Mm. You're right. Well, you went for Betty Rubble. I went for goth cheerleader, Vicky. <laughs> uh, degrading. <laughs> it is. She's meant to be an elite fighter. So how did she end up chained to a wall? Like, you don't see any resistance. She's like, get off. And then No, she wasn't up... she supposed to not fight? Wasn't her job to, to refuse to fight yeah. him? Why? To be big? Because if she accepts the challenge, then she has to fight him and she won't win. Luke Kang goes, will she win? And Raiden goes, no, I won't win. <laughs> that annoyed me. No, she couldn't possibly win. <laughs> um, you know the Johnny Cash photo thing that you mentioned where the photo appears after he kills Scorpion? It's not Johnny Cash. <laughs> Don't say Johnny Cash. <laughs> Wait, who is he? The yes. Johnny Cage bit where yeah. uh, he throws the photo down. That's actually from the game. That's a callback to Mortal Kombat 2, I think, where instead of doing the fatality, you could do a friendship yeah. thing. What did you think of about art? I thought that art... Who is art? <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. He's, throw... he's, kind he's of... basically dead meat. He's there to create a bit of jeopardy. So he's the guy that Who's Goro... Who's the person that Goro kills? Prince. Oh, yeah. Goro. What did, did I say? I didn't say anything. Well, you didn't give him his title. You called him Goro. Oh, so I didn't give him the respect he's earned. <laughs> Sorry. He's uh, the leader of the armies of the other of realm something. or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. He's a big deal anyway. And he cost a million pounds, that puppet. Okay. A million pounds. They get their money's worth because there are a lot of... (laughs) 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 I I thought Goro looked fantastic. I I wrote down... I just... That would be CGI now and it would have been really disappointing. I mean, I thought it was stop motion when I looked at it. It was only when when I watched behind the scenes. It was like, wow, that's actually man in a suit. Yeah. But back to art. Yeah. The man that got killed. Yeah. Goro kills him, okay. yeah. What they... is in the game? Cause... What is Prince Goro's fatality? Why did he not? Because when Art gets killed, he just sort of holds him, doesn't he? Like, squeezes him a bit and then... PG-13 rating. Oh, so because th- that's the thing, because isn't Mortal Kombat set apart from other games because of the fatalities the gore, and because of the violence? The and, and then I think the opening is really violent when... Um, is um, when Liu Kang's brother gets killed, yeah. like, and he gets his spine crunched, yeah. and that's really awful. But after that, it didn't seem that violent to me. Interestingly, there is a new Mortal Kombat in production at the moment, uh, produced by James Wan, and it's going to be R-rated and feature actual fatalities from the video game. Just actual fatalities? <laughs> it's like, fucking hell. <laughs> from, from, from the video game. From, from the video game. People not supposed to know about Yeah, that. it's uh, the first mainstream snuff movie. Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah. that's a natural conclusion for us to come to. Yeah. Um, but Art, so Art, I feel a bit sorry for Art because he gets the most unconvincing support from our lead trio of Johnny, yeah. Sonia and Liu Kang in that fight because they're watching him. <laughs> they're so half-arsing yeah. it. They go, yeah, go on. Yeah. Like, punch him in the face. You you, you can do this. You, you definitely got this, Art. <laughs> yeah, oh, he looks Art. terrified, Art. Art. Art dies literally. And for me, that was the moment that Art died metaphorically in the film. I'm sorry. Uh, there's so much of me laughing generally. It could be cut in, I think. <laughs> I'll edit it. Yeah. No, she moved away from the microphone and laughed. That's I'll... not fair. Because you're embarrassed. <laughs> there you go. That's, I'll use That's that laugh. it. Thank you. <laughs> I'll use that laugh. You yeah. got there in the end. I was really happy with that. Hey, do you know, um, you have a little bit of a problem with Christopher Lambert mm-hmm. being rubbish mm-hmm. in the role of Raydan in this movie. Yep. There was talk of Danny Glover at one point being Raydan. And even better... They approached Sean Connery, Sean Connery. Oh, wow. about being Raiden. And they were told when they approached and they inquired and they were told at the moment, Sean Connery just wants to play golf. Oh, and that's why he didn't do it, which is where I want to be at some point in my career. I can go and someone goes, yeah, does Alex want to do this? Nope. Uh, he's just more interested in eating crisps at the moment. <laughs> uh, the golf thing uh, is the reason that Bing Crosby didn't play Columbo. Is that right? Yeah, he said it would be too much time off the golf course. So he, they wanted him for Colombo originally. Life is for living. Fair enough. Uh, just one more hole. So so they were desperate. Come on! just Because Colombo, just one more thing. Oh, yeah. yeah just yeah. one more hole. Yeah, so they, no, it works. It works. They, um, do you want a five-star well, review and a one-star wait, review? Have you got anything else? In your reviews, does anyone compare it to Star Wars? Because I thought they were trying quite a lot to go down the Star Wars route with the relationship between the three main characters. Star Wars. Uh, No, they didn't. No. And because I thought Raiden was a bit open. Were you doing Sean Connery then? (laughs) Star Wars. I love a bit of Star Wars. I'm doing Bane now. (laughs) A 
five-star review from Mr. Pease. Nostalgic masterpiece, awesome characters, awesome fight scenes, and even better music. A must-see for anyone who has ever been born. <laughs> wow. I know. That's, that's most the, people. That's the way to button a review. <laughs> yeah. And a one-star review from an unnamed Amazon customer. Utter intolerable nonsense. Perfect for 11-year-olds who live in Chatham, Kent. <laughs> but then they think Roundtree's fruit gums are one of their five a day. So someone's got real beef with the wow. people, with the kids of Chatham, Kent. Children of Chatham. That's so strange, isn't it? What a weird thing to say in public. Weirdly specific. I will say it did make me want to go on holiday, this film. Mm. All the beach stuff, that's Rayleigh Beach in near Krabi in Thailand, and it's only accessible by boat. And Paul Thomas Anderson said, no matter how you felt the night before... Paul it... W.S. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the raining frogs. <laughs> I, I watched a version of Mortal Kombat starring Johnny Cash, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Amazing. <laughs> Do you want to know how this film was connected to a film we did last week? They both have the same, uh, Mortal Kombat and Hackers both have the same song by Orbital playing over the end credits. Oh. Halcyon. No, um, no credits. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, they don't. It's got hurt by star of the film, Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I do love, if we're talking Paul W.S. Anderson, the end of Event Horizon where it ends on this big shocking moment and it's like, Oh my God, it's the funky shit. From the Prodigy, it's Fat of the Land album. I love that. It's a really great end to a really intense movie. It's like, it's not over yet. Listen to the credits and then you'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll get back in your car and go home like you're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Then have a nice sleep yeah, afterwards. Maybe a bit of dinner, whatever. Yeah. I don't know the time. Have you got food in or are you going to stop <laughs> on the way? <laughs> I don't know what either of you are talking about anymore. <laughs> and that normally means that we're coming to the end of the podcast. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, all right then. So, Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat. Who is going to be victorious? Chris, which film are you going for as the better of these two video game beat-em-up to movie adaptations? Well, I'm much more conflicted this week. Uh, okay. Last week, I thought it was a done deal. Um, I presented Street Fighter... Uh, Street Fighter was the only one I'd previously seen. I was quite disappointed re-watching it, though, because it doesn't feel like an adaptation of the game. I appreciate they went in a different direction, but I didn't think it was a particularly good direction. Um, I love Raul Julia in it. I mean, it's a five-star movie if it's just him. It's all the other stuff that I've got a problem with. So, so on to Mortal Kombat, then. I feel like um, I wish they knew how to spell the word combat. Why? I've, that's really annoying. It's just annoying. I just don't do that. That is so you. Do you like the band Corn? <laughs> <laughs> no. Of course he doesn't. Do you like Kellogg's products? <laughs> that was just his name. Right, right, right. Um, I feel like it's less cynical than Street Fighter. I don't feel like it was made to sell toys. I feel like they were trying to adapt the game. This delivers on the action. They kept the number of characters down, but up the number of fights. And so for that reason, I think as an adaptation of the video game, Mortal Kombat wins it for me. Okay, good news, good news. One for Mortal Kombat, Vicky. So it is quite difficult because I think Street Fighter is more of a film because there's a clear story, there's set pieces, etc., etc. Mortal Kombat to me seemed like the game on a on the big screen, but oh, I found Street Fighter just such a slog. I was saying this to you, even having only watched it yesterday, there's like a fondness, like a hazy fondness for it already, but I think that's just 90s nostalgia. I don't think that's the based on the merit of the film. And Mortal Kombat, because of the music and because of my new husband, Johnny Cage, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to vote for Mortal Kombat as well. Wow. Wow. So Mortal Kombat is absolutely the winner, just for the record, as the picker of these movies. My vote would 100% have gone to the movie that I absolutely loved this week. Mortal Kombat is the better film. Oh, really? I is. thought you were going to say Street Fighter. Yep. He it, keeps yeah. fooling me each week. I keep yep. thinking he's going another that direction. That makes it a flawless victory. Oh, oh well done, <laughs> Vicky. That's what you pay me for. So our winner this week is... If you have an opinion on that victory and whether it deserves its flawless victory status, you can get in touch with us. Chris, how? 
Drop us a line on Twitter at ClashPod or you can email us. Uh, it's clashofthetitles at gmail.com. And yeah, tell us what you thought about our choices this week or even suggest future choices for us. 100%. And also maybe you have an opinion on the choices that are coming our way right now. Chris Tilly, it is your turn to pick our movies for next week's show. What are the films. Don't tell us the connection. We'll wait until next week to find out if we can't work it out, which we probably can, but tell us. Well, the, for the first two shows, the connections have been quite obvious, so I am going with something that I feel is a little more of a challenge for you guys to figure out. <laughs> um, I also <laughs> noticed that we've done um, four films that have all been released in the space of 12 months, <laughs> so I'm going to try and move out of 94, 95 as an era. <laughs> um, so I'm um, taking us... Why? <laughs> because we are children of the 80s, so I'm taking us back to the 80s okay um so alex are you a lawrence turo fan yeah of course <laughs> larry t big uh, fan oh you nearly said it right there right go on uh that would be mr t okay because i am giving you a film from 1984 called the toughest man in the world what <laughs> okay i'm fine i'm happy with that the toughest man in the world from 1984 right and uh, Vicky, are you a Patrick Swayze fan? Why can't I have oh Patrick God. Swayze? Please say what I think if you're going to say. No, if she gets Roadhouse, I swear to God, I'm walking out. I want Roadhouse. What are you going to say? Uh, would you like to do the movie Roadhouse? Oh! <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are my choices. Next week, we will be pitting the toughest man in the world against Roadhouse. Fine. Roadhouse and the toughest man in the world, no idea right now what the connection is so i'm gonna have to think about that that's it for this week thank you very much for listening please subscribe to us on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts bye for now this was a stakhanov production